welcome to this, the very first edition of the Hastings Podcast. My name is Stuart Bailey. The Hastings Podcast is sponsored by the Wise Group Business Centre. This is the first edition of something new. It's the Hastings Podcast. It's brought to you by Hastings and Focus. We hope that you'll come to look forward to our monthly ramblings about what's going on in Hastings and St Leonard's as we meet the people who live and work here. So who are my guests for this inaugural edition? First up, Kate Tim. Kate's been the warm-up act for Joe Brand and Will Self. Today she finds herself in the Hastings podcast. So self-evidently these gigs did not progress her comedic career one jot, but she says she's not bitter. She also says she's the least enthusiastic yet most inspirational park runner ever. Mm. By day she's an independent celebrant, conducting weddings, baby naming ceremonies and funerals. She's a writer, an editor and a performance poet and lives in Hastings with her husband, a dog and three daughters. And every Christmas, Kate gets very physical on stage with John Knowles in the infamous Penny Pincher's Christmas Carol, more of which later. Next up is Godfrey Daniel. And I've never asked Godfrey if he objects to me calling him a veteran Labour councillor, but then that is what he is. He's been in the Borough Council, was once chairman of the planning committee and mayor, he now sits in the County Council as Joint Leader of the Labour Group and he stood for election as Police and Crime Commissioner for Sussex. Professionally, Godfrey was a teacher, then went on to be involved in other issues surrounding young people and in youth work. And his other profession, of course, is being a Welshman. So we need to expect some mention of the World Cup. Making up the panel today is Carol Denny. And if you're looking for a poster boy to represent those who know what they want, then go out and get it, look no further than Carl. A self-confessed ginger, he says he was bullied at school, but that didn't get in his way of doing what he wanted. Carl owns and runs Hastings Kickboxing Academy, with members from 3 to 63. He runs dozens of classes a week, and is now working with schools and academies across the southeast on anti-bullying policies. However, he says the best fun is when you're punching someone, preferably a good friend. And as he's sitting opposite me, he's sporting a rather impressive black eye. One of his friends has obviously been punching him. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. Godfrey, first up, let's deal with the elephant in the room, rugby. Wales playing France in the World Cup. How do you think that's going to turn out? Well, traditionally, us Welsh, we only support two teams in rugby. That's Wales and whoever plays against England. <laughs> so we've got interest in the England-Australia match as well. But it's going to be Wales on Sunday, definitely. We're going to beat France. And going all the way? Oh, I haven't been asked that question for some time, <laughs> really, uh, Stuart. Uh, but who knows? We've done well. We're a small country. We're a passionate people. But this podcast is all about Hastings. So, first of all, let's talk about the town. And three of us around this table are what you might call incomers. The only native among us is Carl. So, Carl, what was Hastings like as a town to grow up in? Difficult. Not much to do. I guess we had to make our own uh, enjoyment when we was younger, I guess. My parents didn't have a lot of money either, so it's not like I, they could spend money and let me go out and do things. So, you know, me and my friends kind of made our own enjoyment. So we spent a lot of our times on our bikes, 
roller skates and just being out and about really out in the woods out in the parks it was a, a great town you've got the beach you've got the, the the parks you've got the country park you've got St Helens Woods places that's so plenty of places to to go plenty of places a, a lot of people now run the town down because um, they say there isn't much in the town in compared to bigger places like Eastbourne and Brighton but doesn't doesn't really bother me I spend I've spent since nine years old I've spent most of my life at the gym and then at the weekends it was in parks or out on the seafront. And is it different anyway? I mean, is there less in the town than there was then or is there more or is it just different? Because I came here 20 years ago and I've seen a lot of changes in that time. I think there is more. So like the Source Park, for example, you yeah. know, so you've got a good place for the children to go yeah. like in their, you know, on their bikes and skates and stuff. And the parks have got more play areas. So, you know, I think they're trying their best to make the town better. Oh. But I don't think there's a lot in comparison to bigger towns. I think the thing about what is there for young people to do, I mean, I remember 30-odd years ago attending council meetings as a reporter, and that issue about what there was to do was coming up then. And it seems to be a sort of perennial issue. Whether it's a problem or not, I don't know. But I think that you, if well, generation... I've got three teenage daughters, and I would concur that there's not a lot for them to do. Mm. But mm. I would also say their lives are very different to my life as a teenager because they live so much of it virtually. They just do. Mm. They communicate with their friends through a screen. They don't all have to be in the same place together at the same time. So you move to kickboxing. I mean, yeah. you say from about the age of nine, you, you started being in the gym so much of the time. Yeah. How did that start? How did you, how did you pick kickboxing as, as a thing to do? Well, I didn't originally pick kickboxing. When I was a little bit younger at nine, I'd done karate. Um, done it for three, four months, found it quite boring. So I didn't enjoy the carters and stuff that they've done. So I then what? moved What's the to carters. Well, they do set forms. Oh, OK. So they, you'll stand there and you'll just practice form. So you're punching and kicking the air, practicing your blocks in the air. So it's good for regimental structure, but at the same point, personally for me, it wasn't very challenging, um, and you just do the same thing over and over and over. So I got very bored very quickly. So then I moved to boxing, where because there's no... In, in the martial art world, you have light contact and full contact. So in theory, you have the lighter stage where it's more about skill, and then you have the full contact, which is full contact power. Battering someone. Oh, my eye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly that. Um, but in boxing, there is no light contact. It's full contact. So at whatever age you start, it's, it's quite aggressive. And it was up on the West Hill, and it was quite difficult. And me being the shortest, most unfittest, with the most stupidest ginger haircut I had at the time, because <laughs> my parents didn't afford uh, my haircut every week, and they didn't really understand what looking good meant. So I was this, this, this short little ginger kid that... They thought, oh, he looks a good target to bully. The punch bag. The punch bag, the mobile punch bag. So I, I become the mobile punch bag. So I didn't enjoy that either. And then... No, because that's really not fun. No. And, <laughs> you know, back then, there, there was no such thing as kind of kind of being looked after. It was just fend for yourself. Yeah. Um, which has kind of made me resilient to where I am today. But at the time, I, I, I couldn't see that at all. What actually made me go to kickboxing is I went past the, uh, the martial arts studio, Hastings Martial Arts, and I had swords in the window, and it just attracted me to... Um, I was like, oh, they look cool. <laughs> I actually went in there and sort of said hello, and he said, um, how can I help? And I sort of said to him, the swords look really cool. And he said, well, if you do Kung Fu for six months, I'll teach you how to swing a sword. So I went home that night and I said, Mum, I'm going to Kung Fu tomorrow. 
and she was like, what are you talking about? And, and then the story goes on from there, really. So at least young people now can do kickboxing in Hastings. Yeah. Kung fu and kickboxing are different things. Yeah, much like, I guess, Formula One and Rallycross. They're still cars You just used us. an example. <laughs> 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 okay, like understand. a comb and a brush, maybe. Oh, okay. Is that better? Yeah, yeah that so helps. I don't have what, that problem, yeah. obviously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Kung Fu is obviously a martial art. Kickboxing is a martial art slash sport as well. Right. So it's a bit more contact. Um, it's a bit more foregoing, a bit more continuous work. Personally, again, for me, I, I went to I went to Kung Fu, really enjoyed it, and then downstairs I had a kickboxing class, and I was like, oh, that looks really cool. I want to try that as well. So do you move up through levels? Like yes, you, you have do. gradings. Yeah, so you start off actually as, a, as a, a beginner, a no belt or a white belt, and then you go up through the grading system. Exactly the same as karate. So is it a black belt at the end? Yeah, so when you get to, obviously the highest grade is black, there's eight gradings from beginning to end. Yeah. And then when you get to black belt, you get dans. So, so how many dans are you? So I've just got my third dan. He's a third so, dan. Yes. And that's quite impressive because you hadn't graded for many years and then really put yourself through a lot. Yeah, help. To get that grading last year. Yes. So I actually wanted to grade the year before, and as I got halfway through my training for it, I realised I wasn't fit enough. So I had to um, message my, my instructors and say, I can't do it this year, I'm not fit enough. Wow. So, so who instructs you? They must be like yeah, well, super duper oh, Hong incredible. Kong fooey. Yeah, they're, um, they're pretty good. Neil Kelly and, um, and Andrew Hennessy, who are the head of the ICO, which is our association. So... I took another year to get fitter, and then I had a five, six hour physical grading in front of three instructors. Oh. I, I think I sent you a message when I saw the photograph saying it, it was the first time I'd ever seen a photograph of you looking really knackered. Yes, it, well, I lost four kilos in an afternoon oh. in fluid. Yeah, it's the yeah. lightest I've been as well in probably 10 years. So, so. Going, going back, so you've, you've, you've taken up. Kung Fu, you've moved on to kickboxing. I mean, you started instructing, you started coaching relatively early in your sort of kickboxing career as well, didn't you? Yeah, I, I was kind of, I wasn't forced into it, but I fell into the role. So obviously I ate, slept, breathed the sport. I was at the gym six, seven days a week for, for my whole life, which is why when I say I, I loved Hastings, I spent my whole time in the gym. So mm. it didn't really matter about anything else in the town. And... When my instructor wasn't there, I'd be like, can I take the warm-up, can I do the stretching? And no one else wanted to do it. So it was a kind of natural progression. It was part of my brown belt and my black belt certificate to be able to coach and instruct. Because um, to be a black belt, you've got to be an instructor. So if you can't talk to a group of 30 children or adults, mm. then you're no good as an instructor. Where are you going to stop with all this? You keep going up. What's the top? What's your final <laughs> I, ambition? I, I don't know. And every time I hit a point, I think that's the end, and then there's just another step. Um, so obviously the next step for me will be the fourth down. But you have managed to procure a wife and children, yep. am I right? Yes, so, so how much? How do you do your work-life balance? Uh, I'm very. This is where it gets even stickier. So I am very lucky. I'm very very lucky. I met my first wife at the gym at Hastings Martial Arts. Obviously we become friends. Uh, we got together. Um, we were together 11 years, uh, we got married, had kids, and then we worked out that we were better friends than we were husband and wife, so we split up. Um, I went through probably a year of quite tough times, kind of re, you know, finding myself, and we didn't go on very well to start with, and then you know, it worked out for the best, because uh, I am now 
remarried and my current wife Sade, she works at the gym. She works full time and then she leaves the, her work and then comes to the gym and she does reception. And people think, oh, that's amazing. But then my head coach is also my ex-wife. I always, oh. I always like the term current wife. <laughs> it implies that for the time being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. she's well, done a good as job. A, as a wedding celebrant, oh, I'm right. like, yeah, bring on number three, that's fine. I'll do you a lovely deal. <laughs> <laughs> More work for you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't think we could sell that as a you know, buy two, get one free. Yeah. <laughs> Bog off, yeah. yeah. But, but I mean, you, you, Jim, Hastings Kickboxing Academy, you've got, as I said in the introduction, you've got members from three to 63. Yeah. But the levels that you coach, you've got everything from beginners to people who are semi under boards or Yourself, because okay. yeah. I know you still come to my gym. And <laughs> yeah, yes. Really? Yes. Yeah, oh, yes. it, I'd like to say it shows, <laughs> <laughs> but I wouldn't like to lie. I normally have to clear the sweat and blood up after yeah. <laughs> Uh, but, but yeah, you've, so you've got this huge range of the age range and ability range, um, which is really fantastic. Yeah, we again, I pinch myself when we're talking about where is the end. Sure. Every three months, six months, we will hit an, another level. So I'll give an example. I went into a school last week to talk about anti-bullying and to deal with a few children that had uh, anger management. While we was there, we were asked... Um, to have a few meetings with deputy head and the head. Um, and while we were also there, there was a few altercations, shall we say. Um, so the teachers get called to go and deal with it. And I said, can I come with you? And they're like, well, of course you can. If you want to, that'd be good to have you. So I went with them. And obviously the, the teachers are like, get off each other, leave each other alone, move along. And the children are like, you can't touch me, you can't do whatever you, if, what you want. Yeah, my kids were saying that, the, the teachers aren't allowed to physically mm. yeah. separate I mean, they, them. They are, they are, by law, they are. They are allowed yeah. to usher, yeah. for want of a better word. Yeah. And if they're a danger to themselves, then they are allowed to get involved. But then they will also say with the red tape, if it's dangerous, don't get involved. And it's not mm. worth, worth getting injured or hurt yourself if it means pulling two people oh. apart. So a lot of them, and quite rightly so maybe, will say, well, I'm too scared to get into the middle of two kids that are having an altercation. Whereas I will quite happily wade in. Wade in. So, but it's to be honest, drink to you. yeah, I, I do it every day, hence look at my eye. Um, but because of that, you don't actually have to do anything. So again, all I'd done was lent on a door frame and I went, boys, come on, leave each other alone. And they said to teachers, what are you going to do about it? And I said, well, I can. And that's all I needed to say. And they went, oh, actually, he might have a point because I'm, I'm in my kickboxing gear because I'd just been teaching the class oh. um, and talking to a few children. Um, well, I wouldn't mess, um, would you? You know, <laughs> you know the, it's not like I'm going to go in and start front kicking and spinning kicking people. Like, you know, that, that wouldn't Much happen. Much as you'd like to. But possibly, possibly. <laughs> um, but I think just the level of the possibility of, yeah. of the nature of the job, I guess. So we went back to the, the office and we, had, we continued the meeting and then basically they asked me to start working for them straight away, um, which I, I had to pinch myself when I left. And then when I left that academy, I had a voicemail from another academy asking if I'm coming for a meeting ASAP because they want me to speak to them about dealing with some of their antisocial behaviours. You've, you've had quite a bit of success in mm. terms of what you've done so far. Oh, incredible. So again, we went to the Burgess Hill Academy originally to talk to some year 11s that lost one of their best friends through suicide. Um, so we went up there just to kind of let them hit some pads and talk about their, their issues. 
But mm. while we was there, one of the heads of year asked us if we could deal with some of his year nines mm. in lunchtime. And it kind of, it grew and it grew. So and it's about channeling. Yeah, channeling their anger. This stuff um, in a more productive direction. Um, yeah, yeah, 100%. Brilliant. Um, so we ended up doing 10 weeks there. And then I actually asked them to give me some feedback and look at some figures. And they actually said, while we were there, the students that were with us, their truancy rate dropped by 90%. If they were get so they used to get behaviour points. So if they were naughty, they would get five, ten behaviour points mm. per you know, naughty session. And then one of them was getting five behaviour points every single day, and that dropped to one a week after we had been helping him with his anger. That's fantastic, isn't it? So truancy dropped. Yeah. Anger management dropped. The, Good for the, you. The points dropped. Well, they need to be engaged, don't they? And if mm. that's something that engages, then... And to get that... We were talking earlier about children these days living in a virtual world. What you're doing is like this sort of getting them out yeah. So burning the energy off. Oh. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we're, when we're training, you can't have a mobile phone in your hand. Mm. Uh, you say to any teenager, put your phone down for two hours and forget about it. And they, they can't, like, for five minutes, they need their phone. It's habit. Um, I was well, really... a lot of adults are like, I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm a terrible culprit. Like, it's horrible, it. isn't it? Yeah, I know. I feel myself doing it and I think, what, what am I doing? Yeah, what have I missed for the last 30, 30 seconds? 30 seconds ago, yeah. Yeah. So you, you were involved in sort of youth work and, and work with young people. I mean, yeah, yeah. Do you still see the problems that you were dealing with in your career still around today? Or how are we dealing with um, them? Or? Well, I had a very funny career. I was ahead of you in a secondary school I was teaching and I ended up doing youth work and fostering teenagers. And I ended up working in front, which is how I came to Hastings in the first place, uh, for kind of a home to get away from, working with adolescent young women and girls who were basically violent, disordered. We had a secure unit. We did restrain them because otherwise they would have killed us or themselves or set fire to the building, to be honest. It was that level. And that was successful. And that was, di but it's a very difficult end dealing with very kind of voluble teenagers and in the end of the day the end. no they weren't they, the most difficult ones are bright kids okay. these are bright intelligent they were all girls and young women um, aggressive girls and women are more difficult than boys mm -hmm. because boys tend to punch and kick but girls will also scratch and bite so yeah. just physically holding them and aware of their uh, physical shape and things is much more difficult to be honest and most teenagers go through all this kind of hormonal kind of phase whereby everything's bonkers, really, with them. And, and what we had to try and do was hold on to them. And when I was there, we were there for six years, we never kicked one of these young people out. And they'd been through umpteen foster parents, little other children's homes, everybody given up on these kids. So it was kind of good, I think, in its way. Um, but I think teaching now is kind of... I think there are too many distractions for the young people. We talk about mobile phones, all that kind of world, all that bullying that goes on. I mean, I think I get bullied on Facebook and Twitter. I think uh, in my career, you know, is, is well, very, you know, it's not, it's not meeting the needs of, you know, young people now. Teachers are now being asked to do so many other things. And you, you, you hear in news programmes that if there's a problem, oh, well, we'll include that in the curriculum or that will be dealt with at school. And teachers are being sort of almost held responsible for everything. Well, in a way, but in another way, mm. my kids will come out of school having no idea how government works, what voting is all about, how our political systems work, what's the infrastructure, mm -hmm. 
of our society. You know, that is not touched on at all, but you're meant to analyse a Gothic poem. I would suggest that it's perhaps more useful knowing how your government works. And Anything is, if I can say, I mean, when I first started teaching many years ago down in Crawley, I taught sex education for a term, and I thought all these kids would be really interested, and at the end of the term you give them a test. And they were just as bad on those tests as they were for everything else. So you can put it on the curriculum, you can teach young people about civics, and that usually is the case to some extent in schools. But it doesn't mean to say people actually learn. I mean, it's school is a microcosm of the whole society. Mm. And uh, basically you need to have very well-trained teachers, well-rewarded, have some pride in the profession, and that's probably the bit that's drifted over the years, really, that it's such a hard job. Oh, yeah. I think the teachers are great. I think it's like yeah. the NHS, you know, it's not the people who are delivering at the front line yeah. it's the structure they work yeah. within and it's the same with the teaching yeah, yeah. profession you know my kids teachers have all been fantastic without well, fail but they're working within a system yeah. that is very no, you're difficult. right they're, they're assessed on tests mm. so they have to work the teachers they have to work to get kids mm. through the appropriate test or gcse well, my wife's a teacher and i mean she's been teaching now for 30 odd years and i the difference between when she started and now yeah. in terms of the paperwork uh, and the yeah, justification yeah. for That's doing right. what you do, even yeah. in simple things like discipline, um, you know, the justification you have mm. to provide for discipline is it's just moved on hugely. And that, I think, is what's driving a lot of teachers out sure. of the profession. Yeah. Um, sure. But it, it's, it's, yeah. But, uh, locally, God, mm. for you, apart from your council work, yeah. you've on the the Wolf Hastings, the, the yeah, the which is, used to be the town centre management committee. Yeah. So I go to that. I mean, we were yeah. talking about resources and facilities that are in Hastings, and yeah, Carl yeah. was mentioning that it's very easy to talk a town down. But yeah, yeah. Some, looking at some simple things about Hastings, the number of empty shops is well below yeah. what it is national nationally, and just when a shop does become empty, it seems to be. Again. Yeah, I think people are far too negative, to be honest. I mean, if you've got a Margate or places like that, you'll see a whole host of empty shops and things. And um, this is probably contentious, but one of the things that has helped has been the parking system on roads. Because if you park, you know, you have to pay most of the places. And basically, that's what you want if, as a shopkeeper. You want somebody there for half an hour, go away, get somebody else in, so they can spend money. Uh, when you go to Bex Hill... All those cars parked inside the shops <laughs> are the people who work in the shops. Right. Because they wouldn't park because, in Bexhill. It's all right. Because that's why. And that's why it's all full up, all right? So the shops don't do so well. And I know it sounds a bit weird, but it actually has worked very well. And in fact, Bexhill are bringing in that system as well about parking. But you're right. I think the town centre, if you look at it physically, it's very good. We have incredibly little graffiti. Like you have a good Brighton everywhere you look. is graffiti that and for a lot of people that's intimidating I was think quite shocked by how shabby Brighton was it last is. time I went yeah, there yeah yeah absolutely I mean Hastings looks good we got rid of estate agent boards on the seafront people never notice what's not there if you know what I mean mm. but it used yeah. to be because of all the flats and things yeah. so millions of them and that looked poor and that doesn't exist and whatever you think about the pier at least it's been rebuilt and isn't kind of a burnt wreck um because you know, whatever you want to say about the pier, it does look stunning. In, in terms yeah, yeah. of its, its architectural pride, it does look great. Well, Whether I it, love a little gold hippo. Well. <laughs> <laughs> God help it, I do. <laughs> <laughs> That's the <Leonardo's> hope. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, that's true. I think we talked about that a few months ago, didn't we? Mm. Uh, about the pair. And it's like owning from a business point of view, because people say about it being a business and you, ca- you can do events on there, but as soon as you get a gust faster yeah. than a fart that mm. they have to shut because of health and safety and all that kind of mm. stuff. Um, but from a business owner's point of view, it's, it'd be like owning a, a 1970s Jag or, you know, it's lovely to own, but really expensive just to keep. Mm. But no, if you li- love it, you've got It's a liability it. financially, yeah. no doubt about that, unless you're going to put make major changes and things. One, uh, one of the criticisms I often yeah. hear about the town and, and you know, as a sort of former chairman of the planning committee, you might yeah, yeah. And, and view in this, is that everything's kind of centred to the old town end and we, you know, there's you know, there's not a lot happening towards St Leonard's or there's a feeling that the council should put more effort into what's happening along to St Leonard's. I know there's talk about what's happened to the old um, bathing pool site, but you know, do you have a, a view in that? Well... There's not a magic money pot, as somebody once said fairly recently, and uh, things like the source. I mean, the source, you know, Richard Moore and his colleagues who kind of set that up is wonderful, mm. but that was with the help of money from the borough council and the county council, you know, and it's not bottomless pots, really. Um, I think St. Leonard's has changed a lot as well. It's definitely come up. It's become a very desirable location from you down from London's and over from Brighton yeah, and whatever, you know. Filth. The filth. Exactly. And you've got, you know, uh, I think there's a lot more going on over there, but you need money, you need resources. And the slight problem in Hastings is whenever you want to change things, there's always a huge body you object to almost everything. So if it's the Jewish Art Gallery, there's a campaign. Well, let's I keep, thought the Jewish should have been at my end. I'm in St. Leonard's. Well, it, if it wasn't at that end, it would have been in Birmingham because it's not the council, no, and it, it's. People go where they want to go with the businesses. Mm. And the funny thing about when people talk about housing, the highest density of housing in Hastings is the old town. So it, people moan about it's too dense the housing. That's actually the highest density area. The old heart. town's fascinating with all the sort of twittons. Yeah, and yeah. I, I went to see somebody recently, and you know, it was again up one of these little alleyways. Yeah, and yeah. you go up those alleyways, and it's surprising just how many houses are. Yeah, yeah, are yeah. There. I mean, it's got it's got a lot of charm, but I think St Leonard's has definitely come up in the world in, since I moved into Hastings. I think by a long way. I would time. agree, but it's still. I'm aware of it when people come and stay with me and we walk down through St Leonard's and uh, there's a lot of people with a lot of problems yes. and issues on the streets of St Leonard's yeah. and Absolutely. when I do the park run on a Saturday and I do, I usually do a little post and I did a post about you know all the people that are sleeping rough in the shelters and that's definitely yeah. changed in the last five years I no, would no. say the numbers have gone up huge, yeah right? and it's it's really shocking a lot of it's, it's to do with the universal benefits yeah and I, I, come know, in I and, know. Um, I think because St Leonard's yeah. a lot of people are on the edge anyway yeah and then things like universal credits happen yeah, yeah. and they're just tipped over because they're they're teetering and then yeah. over they go yeah. and I really notice it when I have friends come and stay and we're walking down I can see them kind of going wow this is a crazy place but despite it, all the gigi other things that are yeah, going yeah, on yeah. lovely no, bistros and uh, art yeah, centres and right. you know but the, one of the other things about you know, things never change is I've been doing quite a lot of work with the Seaview Centre mm. um, and that was set up what the late nineteen eighties. Yeah. Because people were noticing a number of people on the streets with nowhere to go, with nothing to do, 
and that's how the Seaview Centre came into being. So it's, it seems amazing that 30 odd years later, that problem's still there. And I spent an evening, uh, a night, out with the Seaview's outreach workers. Yeah. Um, and the work they do in actually going around making contact with yeah, the sleepers, making sure they're, they're yeah, okay, yeah. Is, is just phenomenal. Mm. It's, it's a wonderful organisation. Going back in the day when I was mayor, it was one of my charities, Seaview. It had mm. come under a lot of political attack, not by people I represent, but from others who didn't like seeing it there, basically, and didn't like seeing some of the people. But it's been a wonderful charity. Mm. And... Uh, and okay to celebrant, but a few of my friends who've had, who said, who do I leave some money to or do we do a collection for? And I've always said see view because mm. a little bit of money for them is, is really important. Mm. Some of the bigger charities, to be honest, a little bit of money doesn't make a huge amount of difference, but for see view it does. And mm. instead of people giving money to beggars, I have to say in Hastings, and I know this is controversial, give a donation to see view. Mm. That if you want to really help people who are homeless and in need, that you know, don't give people money that may just go on drugs and alcohol, to be honest. That night I went out with the outreach workers. The one yeah. occasion that really sticks out in my mind, we met this guy, he was sleeping off near Debenhams, yeah. and he had just arrived in Hastings, and the, the outreach worker had said to him, you know, do you need a breakfast, go to sea view, told him yeah, where to yeah. go. And he looked and he said, yeah, I've got no money. And then he was told the breakfast's free this morning. And just the look in his face right. that he was going to get a free hot meal, I, I can't describe it. I remember when I wrote the piece about it, I couldn't actually put it into words. That's right. But you could just sense that this... Well, it's unimaginable not, not having yeah, yeah. a home, isn't yeah, it? Absolutely. I mean, especially currently in this weather, yeah. I, you yeah. know, and the average life expectancy of a rough sleeper is in their late 40s, yeah. lower for women. Yeah. Yeah. And that's outrageous. The, pr the problem we have in part, though, is that people who you might think are rough sleepers, about 80% of them aren't. They're actually bedding down in the town centre in the daytime to try and beg money. Yeah. And uh, if you talk to people like Seaview Centre, they'll say there's only 20% of people who are actually homeless. There are people who are homeless who are on the streets in Hastings trying to get money. That's just the reality, I'm afraid. And it's sad that people would even think of doing that. That's why if we can give money to places like Seaview so they can really work with people, and even the Borough Council Housing Office people, they try and get people rehoused and try and get them a bed. There are some people who don't want a bed anywhere. That's another problem. Um, and there's various mental health issues and everything else. People need support and help. They don't necessarily need cash, uh, in, you know, in the hand. Um, so one's got to be a bit slightly wary, I think, really. But... It's, it's got worse, but the government has made life poorer for most people of no mm. means, to be honest. And that's, sorry, a bit political, but mm. that's, that's where I come from, I'm afraid. Well, and, and, and picking that up, one of the things I find fascinating about you is, is you stood for Police and Crown Commissioner. Back in the day, 2012. Oh. Uh, funny enough, I actually won Hastings, I won Crawley, and won Brighton and Hove. Which is where all the crime is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, I just I think they could have loaded that. How would you have done it differently? If I'd have been police and crime commissioner, I would certainly have tried to stop the getting rid and reducing the police force. I would have certainly used any influence to get more police and more resources from the government. But the problem is when you have a Conservative Police and Crime Commission and a Conservative government, it's all very pally, so they can't possibly criticise each other. And... Um, 
lots of the ideas that I had about bringing in body-worn video subsequently came in, getting rid of the um, estate because they had a massive country mansion up in Slotham, came to fruition. Um, and I think because I'm, my, I've worked in criminal justice, I've been on the probation board, I've been a magistrate, I've retired off there, I've been on the police authority, I think I knew about policing and crime punishment, whereas the, the lady who beat oh. me had a limited experience in these mm -hmm. kind of areas. It's pretty like that, let's be charming. Crime punishment just sent to Carl. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's not a bad idea with that black eye. I don't, yeah, that, that would be quite good. But uh, the thing is, I'd like to see police. I had a meeting with the police yesterday down in Homedane House, which is next to the Carlisle which is a residential home for people who feel a bit vulnerable in the town centre, as you can probably imagine for some of the reasons we were talking about earlier. I mean, it's the first time... We used to have police at those kind of meetings often, but mm. it, to try, you try and get a policeman to come to a little group or community mm. and give them some reassurance, it doesn't exist. I mean, the but police... I think that's what happens with this under-resorting, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. The human mm. side goes first because the other stuff still has to happen. It's like the NHS when nurses yeah, yeah. say, oh, there's no, no time yeah. to sit and yeah, talk yeah. to somebody, because that's the bit that will go first, because yeah, the right. meds still have to be done and all that stuff, but the actual human side c is the thing that disappears. Yeah, yeah. And in some ways, that's the most important side You're of right. life. Well, neighbourhood policing was dropped. You know, I have a great support of neighbourhood policing. It's all pretending it's coming back now, so we have 10 years with 20,000-plus police officers less. It's, how long does it take to actually recruit, train another 20,000? And, and, and isn't being a police officer about more than just learning how to do the job? It's about that life experience and no, okay. being out As Kate was saying, it's some of those soft functions, meeting people, yeah. giving reassurance by your presence and having a warmth and helping some of the people that, who have problems on the streets find a, an alternative future. Yeah, well, I well we used to, but not. Yeah. Uh, they're they rare. all look very young now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah they, they do really. Yes, yeah, that's true. Okay. Again, talking about police and talking about scenes and, yeah. and respect and things like that. As a councillor, as someone who's been in public office, how are you treated these days? My sense, because social media is out there, is that I wouldn't want to be in public office or a public servant. It seems like a bit of a you know, no, no, win, no win thing to do. Um, it's got more difficult in some ways. And it is the social media. People feel they could just have a go at you. Mm. And so they, easy to write something. Yeah, on Facebook, Twitter, People or a quick email. And they only pick up half the story. They don't pick up the, the full reality of how it all works. Yeah. On the other hand, I find that if I can meet people... I mean, I went to see a couple, a lovely couple of people in Hewington Road yesterday. And you can have a chat to them about whatever issue. That's fine. That's pleasant. It's this kind of remoteness. And because I've been around a long time, a lot of people know me, and I encourage them to come and talk to me or I'll go and talk to them. You know, sometimes even the phone is not a very good means of communication, let alone emails. Because, you know, you answer an email, it comes back at you the next second. And I'm afraid people haven't quite cotton on to the fact that austerity has existed, is existing, and will exist, so it seems, despite all the visible evidence. You know, I pay my taxes, I should have this, this, and this. Yeah. Life is very difficult out there. And we get accused of... The government's very good, you see, it cuts local government, so then we get the blame, basically, for whatever it is. 
and that's how the brain transfer mechanism works. Although I can't see why people can't see that your, you know, local government is underfunded. Local governments are bankrupt. How does that happen? You know, yeah. it's I, if that's not a signal yeah, yeah. of something, I don't know what is. But does that not come back to something you were saying earlier? That if um, what was I saying earlier, Stuart? <laughs> if young people actually understood how local government worked. Um, and again, doing the job I do, you know, I, I've been in and out of councils and courts and things mm. for most of my professional life. In and out of court, yeah, I've heard that about you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but you, you, yeah. you, you get an understanding of how these things work, which yeah, actually yeah. the general public don't. Mm. And everything gets blamed. Or I noticed somebody on Facebook yesterday yeah. uh, responding to something you'd said, Godfrey. Oh, but I thought the council paid for that. Yeah. With seemingly no idea yeah. that you were, where does the council get this money from? It's just yeah. this endless pot. Well, it used to be a bit from council tax, a bit from business tax, but a huge amount for government grant. Yeah. Government grant is just gone, basically. Yeah. And so what's left is not a lot. And, yeah. uh, you know, but a lot of people, I think, moan rather than do anything about it. I don't I'm pe mind people having complaints. Get in touch with your local councillor or council or whatever. Don't just moan about, there's a hole in me road, it's horrible, there's a moan, hole in me road. Report it at least, at least it can get on somebody's list and hopefully get done, you know. it's mm. There's a lot of whinges, I'm afraid. And mm. I know you, Carl, you lived in Hastings all your life. Yeah. I don't know if it's true, but I tend to find the people who've lived other places, who've moved into Hastings, think it's really, really wonderful. And yeah. some of the people who lived here all their life don't quite appreciate how much better Hastings is than... All the other places they've I, lived at. Does, I don't have. Like so, I think that. a lot of people, um, you know, when they've lived and not moved out, they'll run it down. And I always say to people, if you're really unhappy, move. Have you ever lived anywhere else, or have you always lived in Hastings? Yeah. No, I haven't. But I have travelled a lot mm. um, yeah. around the UK. Um, you know, even every weekend, we'd go to a different part of the UK for a tournament. Yeah. So we would yeah, go and spend a whole weekend in Great Yarmouth, yeah. Twickenham. Oh, don't mention Twickenham. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and there are, you know, when you go away for the weekend and you come back to Hastings, so I'll give a perfect example. I live six minutes from my house to the gym and I get really frustrated sometimes when it takes me eight minutes to get to the gym because the ridge is so busy, yeah. <laughs> which, is, which is crazy, which is crazy. And then, you know, you go to Croydon for the day and yeah, it takes you an hour and a half. Yeah, minutes worth of you being super buff and fit, so, oh, well, yeah. you know. Yeah, well, shouting at kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you go to, like, you know, Croydon, Reading, Brighton Town Centre, and it can take you 45 minutes to do half a mile. Oh, yeah. And then when you come back to Hastings, you go, oh. Eight minutes on the ridge is actually not that bad. I know. The other thing about Hastings is, just, and, and, and St. Leonard's in particular, it's just such an attractive town. The architecture, yeah. you know, just the whole thing. And the parks is, and the trees, We've, yes. it's a very green town. Oh, Alexandra Park you know, is lovely. I live, I that's where it. I live. I must admit, when I <laughs> chugged my house, it was like on the park, and I thought, this is a good place to bring up my kids. Yeah. And, oh, and they loved it. it. Yeah. You don't yeah. even have to mow the grass. Uh, well, that's, <laughs> another, that's another issue I won't get onto at the moment. But you know, I was in charge when they, we regenerated Alexander Park uh, around the time when I was mayor, and it was great. Mm. And uh, it's been transformed. It is so popular, mm. and it's so well used. You know, and you've got the park cafe. It's like a creche half the time. There's lots of young okay. mums meeting mm. and dads, you know, well, meeting actually, people. It's very sociable. little secret walkways and woody bits. Because yeah, yeah. I've recently acquired a dog. 
Oh. And I love my Did you get dog. lost running? <laughs> <laughs> I did get lost. In, I got lost in the woods. Yeah. So, yes, but there are lots of yeah, secret little pathways well, it's got it's got everywhere. It's got highly formal. It's got places. I mean, when I was first on the council, there was big signs on the trees saying, no football games. Mm. I said, well, what's that about? If mums and dads and kids want to kick a football, what's, what's yeah, the harm? It's grass. Yeah. They don't want to organise football and people with football books digging it all up. But yeah. that's what it's there for, mm. you know. Yeah. Old Road Girl and Coronation Wood is, is yeah. Oh, I know, it's lovely. lovely. I walk out of dogs then. And yeah. gills will be gills. Yeah, you're three miles away from Fairlight, a beach, or yeah, yeah. out in the fields and woods. <laughs> Kate, we, I mentioned earlier the Penny Pinchers Christmas Carol. Yes. Which you done now for how many years? Well, I kept putting on Facebook for the fifth year and then I noticed John was putting for the fourth year and I thought, <laughs> oh, uh, who's wrong? I think he's right. I think it's the fourth year this year. But yeah, it's a bit of a satirical look at Hastings. I mean, Yes, so we, the framework is the Charles Dickens classic yeah. Christmas Carol. Um, John plays Scrooge, I play every Everything other else. character. <laughs> um, but around that, we weave bits of local gossip and tittle-tattle. Mm. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so we every year we have, we've got two days, I think next week or the week after, actually, where we do a little trawl of what's happened locally and nationally. It's got a little yeah, bit yeah. of a left-wing political spin on it. Um, so last year we opened with Goldfinger because it was all about the pier. Oh, um, yeah. So I did a Shirley Bassey Goldfinger. Very well, I have to say. Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah. Good Welsh girl, of course. Fabulous just Afro add to the Welsh. Wig. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, if you've got any little oh, gems I, about Hastings I'll, that I'll we speak can, to you afterwards. Yes, yeah. crowbar in there. Do you find is it a town where that satire, the, the subjects you can satire? comes easily or do you have to root around or is every year slightly different? I suppose um, last year was an obvious one. Yeah, last year was a gift because of the pier and it was so yeah. controversial. Um, and usually there's a few, there's like when there was the campaign for the post office, we've got that in there. So we get a few little local gems. Mm. Most people seem to know what we're going on yeah. about. Um, yeah, so, and and just local references, like Pirate Day or things that are uniquely yeah. Hastings, we can get in there um, around the the Dickens story. But yeah, so good. your background, I mean, we're seeing um, comedian, you've warmed up for Joe Brand. Yes. Warming up for Will Self. Yes. Yeah. I was funnier than Will Self. Well, I can, I can believe that. Well, it was the Hastings Literary Festival, and first of all, they said, would I warm up for David Walliams? And I said, do you actually know what comes out of my mouth? Because <laughs> there's a lot of um, feminist, left-wing, sex, swearing. Um, uh, yeah, I thought, oh, David you've done Walliams. Well so far, yeah, 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 that's right. I'm package. a proper potty mouth when I want to be. Um, so I said, I, don't, I just don't think I'm a really good fit for the family entertainment bit. What else have you got? And they said, well, we've got Will Self, who's going to be reading from extracts from various of his novels. Um, I've never read a Will Self novel. And, Has anyone? Well, <laughs> my husband had, and he, he's one of the... I'm one of those people who, if I start a book and it doesn't engage me within a couple of chapters, yeah. I just put it down. I go, right, I've given yeah. up, I'm not interested. 
he is one of those people who he will just plough on, whether he's enjoying it or not. I think it's a bit like marriage, really, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> he's saying that's like my marriage. No, I, I wouldn't like to comment. I wouldn't like to comment. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so he did plough on and he said, yeah, it was just completely impenetrable and I didn't really understand it from start to finish. So if you imagine that, then an extract, so reading an extract yeah. from a completely impenetrable yeah. novel... But some people loved it because they loved just his use of big words because he's very clever and, you know, has a very good vocabulary. Um, whereas other people liked me because I was just very straightforward and rude and funny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think I'd go for that. Yeah. <laughs> so how does your comedy in terms of what you do as an A-job, so being a celebrant... Yes. And a celebrant, some of them we've been hearing about over recent years. In fact, I don't think I've heard of a celebrant until I met you and the other Yes, kids. most people don't know what a celebrant is, do they, to be honest? Mm. So, as a career move, it's pretty rubbish. Because <laughs> the first thing you've got to do is explain what you are. So, um, as celebrants, we conduct ceremonies. So, uh, any big life events, so baby namings, um, renewal of vows, you could do that instead of another... Marriage. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, we'll chat about that after. Um, Yeah, weddings and funerals. And, um, well, I'm one of those people that I don't really have... I don't have a non-comedic setting on the whole, so I find life quite fun and I find any... I can find the humour in anything. Um, And I think humour's important. Um, And even in funerals... I'm not trying to put the fun in a funeral because a funeral is not a fun thing. It's very sad and if the person was, you know, a loved person, it's tragic and it's awful for the people who are there and grieving. But I do also think that there's something about capturing who that person was when they were alive, their energy. And if they were a happy, positive, fun person then having a monotonal, very sad, sorry for your loss kind of funeral is not representative of them. So So maybe, yeah, exactly. So maybe to say to people, I know it's really sad and I know you're really... Can I I book you now? Yes, of course you (laughs) can. I've got a booking form in my (laughs) bag. You must sign it. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm just a bit of a check as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, yeah, catch up front, love. Um, yeah, so, you know, they'd say, if you can make people cry at a wedding and laugh at a funeral, you've done a really yeah. good yeah, job. Sense. And it is, it's that, it's that tonal thing of there being moments of pathos, moments of humour, and knowing how to read the room about mm. when it's right to change your tone and, you know, how to work all of that. Which is what Kate and I are really good at, Kate and Kate celebrants, um, and we are actually finalists. So good, you have to name it twice. Well, we're finalists um, at the Good Funeral Awards tomorrow for oh. celebrant of the year. Good work. Mm, thank you. Mm-hmm. I thank you. I think, yeah. And, and out out of the. The celebrant work and out of the funeral work. You launched Coffin Club a couple of years ago. That's yes, we did. Interesting oh, what concept. were we thinking? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, Coffin Club was born out of this kind of frustration at funerals 
being um, very cookie cutter. I think we can all say we've been to a few funerals that it would be hard to tell one from the other. Um, that there's a very set format that in this country we're generally expected to either go to the church or have a 20-minute ceremony at the crematorium. Um, Kate and I, very quickly, once we started, uh, after we trained as funeral celebrants, we started conducting funerals and we then turned to each other and said, is this the sort of funeral you would want or you would want for, you know, your husband? or your kids, heaven forfend. And um, we both said, no, no, it's not what I would want at all. And actually, there are no laws. It's like a, it's like the Wild mm. West funerals. There's nothing to say that there's anything you can't do. So you can be in a village hall, you can be yeah. in a barn, you can be in your back garden, you can have fire eaters and dancing girls, if that's it. You could have a brilliant kickboxing Boxing display. Funeral. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. So we then <laughs> we then approached. Could be a dead loss. Boom <laughs> <laughs> tish. He's here all week, ladies and gentlemen. Um, yeah, we approached funeral directors saying, "Oh, we go to all these lovely wedding venues, and would you suggest that to families?" And we got a resounding no. <laughs> so um, this is the way we've always done it. Pretty much. Yeah. So we thought, do you know what? Uh, no, what they said was, no one's ever asked for it. Well, nobody's ever asked for it because A, they don't know they can yeah. do it. B, at a point of grief, you don't ask for anything. Yeah, you right. just sit in that chair and say, yeah, whatever, here's the money, do it. I do it. Mm. Um, so we started Coffin Club because we want to tell people that they can do all these different things, but also we want to tell them ahead of time. We want to tell them when they are not at a point of bereavement because that's not when you think creatively and ask questions. One of the things that irks me slightly about the promotion of Coffin Club is everybody focuses on the coffin, yeah, but it's not about it's on so much more. I know. Um, I've, so I've been along to a couple of meetings, you as you have, know, yes. and it's been really sort of fascinating to listen to what people are, are uh, saying. Do you know, Coffin Club is an amazing and beautiful thing because it's a place where people come and talk about a subject that is yeah. quite taboo in this country. Yeah. Because I am humorous, I, I am funny, I like life to be funny, Coffin Club is not a miserable place to come. It's very jolly. I mean, there are moments of sadness because we yeah. touch on stuff that is sad. But it's great. And every week we have a different speaker. So we have funeral directors, we have end-of-life doulas, we have a lady who did a family-led funeral for her husband. She kept his body at home. There is no law saying you can't keep a body at home. Yeah. Took it to the crematorium mm. in the back of the estate. Yeah, that's, that. that's been done. I've come yeah. across that. Yeah, and so we talk about all this stuff and people are so empowered. It's yeah, just yeah. amazing that from being in a position of complete disempowerment, I can't do anything. Mm. I have to have a funeral director to do it all for me. And I don't have... People will say, am I allowed? Am I allowed to approach the coffin? Well, of course you are. You can do whatever you like. And so to give back that power... And we're not saying don't use the funeral director. We're saying, you know, shop around, find one that's right for you, or don't use one. Some people would never not use a funeral director because they would be way out of their comfort zone. And that's absolutely mm. fine. You don't have to use a celebrant. 
But obviously, if you do, you want to use Kate and Kate. (laughs) 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 Expect somebody at that point to be, oh, I'm going to shop around and find the funeral director that suits you. You're not going to do do that, are you? And I understand that and I respect that, which is why Coffin Club is about getting people much further down the line. Um, You know, quite often they're people who they've just had a funeral for either their mum or their dad or another person. And they have found the experience, you know, less than satisfying. And they don't want their kids to be in that position. So they've come to get their house in order. But what's amazing, at the end of day one, they will say, oh, my God, there was so much I didn't know. I did not know all the things that I could do. And they instantly, they get a funeral wish list and they go off to sort that out. And if they want to they can stay and decorate a coffin. But as you rightly say, the thing that everybody thinks is foremost is actually the secondary yeah. thing. I suppose the coffin's the visual thing. People oh, it's sexy, isn't it's, it? It's a, a bit picture. quirky, yeah. Do you think people should... I mean, I, I've done, put it in my will, what I want, the music. Yeah. All right? Because leaving people all of a sudden, the grief is bad enough to think, what music can I pick? You know what I mean? If you can actually mm. make well, life, plan it a little bit so your partner or your child or you know, whoever it is knows what your wishes are. Oh, completely. You know, that's also, so much easier. We deal with families who they are upset that they don't know what that person wants because they yeah. feel that somehow their fault yeah. and something lacking right. in them that, oh, I don't know what mum would have wanted. And sometimes people say, what do you think? Well, to ask me what I think music you should have about somebody who I didn't know is completely, you know. So, yeah, no, we need to think about these things. We need to talk about the one guaranteed thing in life is we are all going to die. And yet the British have done an absolute brilliant job of not talking about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Time's moving on. And a couple of things I'd like to touch on just briefly before we go, very Hastings-wise. Godfrey... Great news a couple of days ago, or libraries reopening. Yeah. And that's a really good example of people power, isn't it? Well, it is, but it's also people have a go at the county council quite often because they've got to cut resources and then they kind of blame them because they're over in Lewis. But they're actually quite responsive. If you have a pub- public building like or library, they've been willing to give it to the community, in effect, at a Peppercorn rent. So they're not necessarily the bad people over there. The officers who work in libraries are really good and caring. Um, funny enough, my proudest achievement is probably the refurbishment of Hastings Library, which is beautiful mm. and is. well used. And now we've got children in there. Mm. And even Lou's, which are fairly controversial in the town centre, but <laughs> they're, they're certainly there. Um, and the building next to the library, which is uh, surplus to requirements, I think that's going to be given to a community group for other things. Um, and it's a question of how the community organise themselves to do it. So if there's a real plan, people get together. I know Hastings Voluntary Action have been very helpful. You need, you need somebody who's got some organisation, not we just want to do it. You know, you've got an organisation that's... So we want all library to carry on for a long time. And it's not just a question of books, really, with libraries anymore. A lot of it's, it's IT. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know what facilities they're going to have. But they're cert- they're certainly, I've spoken to them yesterday, but they were saying you have some computers there that people can yeah. uh, do whatever they need to do on and clubs for after school yeah because if you haven't got a computer and haven't got the means or the knowledge of how to use it 
you're very isolated now in society. Oh, you know. completely. And for a lot of elderly people, you know, and quite often I think to myself, is there a child of eight running around up there who can come and help me with my computer? Because it's beyond me. You know, so that's really important, I think. But certainly a small team in order have been very effective. Absolutely. Godfrey, Kate, Carl, this has been really good fun. Um, and I'm already looking forward to doing the next one. Thank you for joining me today. All right, thank you. The Hastings Podcast is a Hastings In Focus production. The Hastings Podcast is sponsored by the Wise Group Business Centre.